Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Well, Dan, it seems like uh, in the course of American constitutional law, church-state issues most frequently arise here in public schools. And in Texas, church-state issues generally involve public schools and football. And this case is no exception. Uh, here to talk about uh, an interesting case percolating through the Texas courts is uh, uh, Emeritus Law Professor from George Washington University School of Law in our nation's capital, uh, Chip Lupu. Welcome to Freedom's Ring. Uh, thank you very much, Alan. Nice to be talking with you today. So tell us, um, what are the facts of, of this scenario in a Texas public school? We have a small independent school district about 90 miles northeast of Houston near the Louisiana border. And the cheerleaders run on the field before each game with, with banners. And there's nothing unusual about that. But in this particular school district, some of the cheerleaders were putting religious messages and Bible verses on those banners. So they would run on the field, and they would have things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, on their banners. And this, as you might imagine, uh, instigated some complaints from people who thought that public school cheerleaders should not be uh, advancing or proselytizing religious messages as part of their cheerleading duties. So I think this case gives us a good opportunity to think about basic principles of free speech, of religious freedom, and, and why we have these values enshrined in our Constitution. Uh, and, and I dare say a lot of Americans might ask questions about how these principles have been developed by the Supreme Court over the years. Um, now, the school district, uh, what position did they take about whether this was appropriate for the cheerleaders to engage in, in this kind of religious speech? Now, the, the school district took more than one position, especially once there was some litigation about this. But their ultimate position was that the school district should have maximum discretion. They should be able to allow messages on the cheerleaders' banners when, when they felt okay about them, or they should be able to block messages when the school district authorities wanted to block them. They wanted complete freedom to allow or to block. And I it's easy to understand why, if you were a school official, you would want complete discretion, but I think they were... Um, ignoring their constitutional responsibilities under the Establishment Clause. So, just so we're clear with our listeners, there's different rules that apply depending upon whether the speech is considered um, government-controlled in some sense, or government speech, government-sponsored speech, or whether it truly is private speech, right? That is exactly right, and that is a crucial distinction that has to be kept in mind in this particular case, if the same cheerleaders were not wearing their cheerleader outfits, if they were up in the stands, if they come to the game with banners, with religious messages, that would be the private speech 
of each of them as students or observers to the game. Got it. But once they put on their once they put on their cheerleader outfits and run on the field together in this orchestrated, organized cheer, now they are spokespeople for the school. The school district becomes responsible speech, and in that sense, it becomes the speech of the government. So, you know, our radio show airs primarily on Christian radio stations, and presumably many of our listeners would be happy with the idea of cheerleaders promoting Christian religious messages um, in a public school setting like a football game. And I think in order for us to really wrap our brains around this issue, we need to consider how we would feel if the messages reflected somebody else's perspective. You know, what if they ran out on the field with a banner that said, there is no God but Allah? Would we feel the same way? And maybe you have some other examples you can give. Well, when I read about this case, that was one example that came to my mind. If if cheerleaders were advancing what was a minority religion in a particular town, some of the spectators or players might not be so happy. Or, this is just a different version of the same story, if they ran out on the field with a banner that said, good without God, that's an atheist banner. I'm quite sure some spectators and players, the parents of, of children in the school, etc., would be quite unhappy with that. And one of the ways we avoid this kind of conflict is we say the school should not sponsor prayer or worship or religious expression as the official expression of the school of any kind. And that way, whether it's Christianity or Judaism or Hinduism or atheism, we're, we're not going to have a religious creed sponsored by the school. Well, this, is, this is not a new idea, Alan. This goes back at least to the school prayer decisions by the Supreme Court in the early 1960s, which were about sure. government-sponsored school prayer or Bible reading. Not about the idea of prayer by an individual student at the school, but school sponsorship of prayer. That's what, that's what this cheerleader case implicates. Well, you know, we're sitting here, or I am in the studio. You're in, presumably, in your office or somewhere back, uh, back east in the in the D.C. area. Um, just a few days after we heard the shocking news of of the passing of of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, and I spent some time over the President's holiday weekend rereading some of his Supreme Court writings, his decisions, and such, and. Uh, I, I think Scalia would have been something of a dissenter from those early Supreme Court decisions that ruled that the Establishment Clause somehow hindered the rights of, of uh, states to promote uh, traditional Christian beliefs. And, you know, it got me thinking about how far society has come. And I know many of our listeners uh, tend to listen to the kind of Christian uh teaching and propaganda, if I don't mean that in the offensive way, that somehow because of the Supreme Court, America has lost her way morally and, and spiritually. And yet, when we look at a, a simple example like the one before us of the, of the cheerleaders, I hope our listeners can understand the necessity for government neutrality towards religion that uh, the alternative is government promotion, and it won't necessarily be the religion that we agree with. Yeah, 
let me say two things in response to that, Alan. First of all, you are correct that Justice Scalia was a dissenter from the kinds of decisions that you and I are talking about. Of course, he was not on the Supreme Court back in the early 1960s when those first school prayer and Bible reading cases were decided. But he was on the court in 1992 when the Supreme Court said that public school graduations could not include uh, a prayer by an invited clergyman. Right. Levy Weissman. And he was on the court in the year 2000 when the decided the last Texas school football prayer game about student uh, prayer, school-sponsored student prayer before the games. So he did dissent from this tradition. He believed that government should be able to acknowledge God. Now, I don't think I don't think he ever argued that it that sort of morality was at stake. He had a particular view about tradition, and he said, "Well, this is law. This was a long-standing tradition of the American people, and it should be continued." And that was his that was his constant view. But you know, my own sense is that first of all, as you say. A prayer in school is more, much more likely to divide the American people than to unite the American people around any particular moral vision. And it's rather difficult to see how rote repetition of a prayer in school will do anything one way or the other to either promote or retard some civic morality. Children recite these things because they're told to, or they watch it. Cheerleaders come across the field and they smile and they ignore it. None of this is going to inspire better behavior by school children or anyone else. Well, and you raise in my mind the absurd notion of some sort of public non sectarian uh, acknowledgments of God. You know, I'm a Bible believer myself. You know, I had a born again experience in my college years, and to me, the idea of a non-sectarian religion is a religion devoid of any real value or, or worth. Um, if it's going to have value, then it's going to be sectarian in the sense of having some substance to it. Well, a few reactions. Number one, the idea of what is sectarian and what isn't has changed over time in some very interesting ways. If you went back to the United States in the middle of the 19th century, Sectarian was code for Catholic, was code for Roman Catholic. True. So that Protestant prayer, Protestant prayer would have been viewed as non-sectarian, as long as we can find some generic Protestant expression of prayer or reading from the book that Protestants read. That would have been considered non-sectarian. Now, if you jump ahead 100 years, such as the 1950s, there began there, there began to be this movement for a kind of unified American non-sectarianism, which people would have described as Catholic, Protestant, Jewish. Right. And I think Justice Scalia came of age in a time when Catholic, Protestant, Jewish was considered a non-sectarian way to think about the idea of God. And so when he when he looked at the Ten Commandments cases, there were two cases in 2005 in the Supreme Court about displays of the Ten Commandments. And he says, look, this is part of the American tradition to allow the public veneration of the creed of what he called the Abrahamic faith. Now, this was an interesting move because he, he included Islam. This is 2005. So this would have been Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, which he characterized as the Abrahamic faith, then understood by him as sort of as the non-sectarian generic faith of the United States. 
And it's easy to see that as religious pluralism expands, the idea of what's sectarian and not sectarian, you know, is not constant. It's not stable. It's only reflecting some pseudo-consensus about a religious center at any given moment. You know, that's, that's very helpful for you to give that background. I really appreciate it. There's been plenty of discussion, both in this show and, and elsewhere, about the role of prayer, for example, uh, you know, at, at uh, city council meetings and, and legislative meetings and all of that. And my own view is that, that formal prayers in those public settings are really pretty worthless, and it'd be far better if they designated a room down the hall and people could go and, and genuinely pray uh, that God would give wisdom for the decisions that are being made. And there could be what I would call real prayer, which as a Protestant means, uh, you know, something, a very personal expression out of a relationship with God. Um, of course, there's other traditions of prayer as well, and, and all can be encouraged. But, uh, you know, the idea that, that we have government favoring a particular religion well, we've got some examples in other countries where that's not working out so well. Um, any closing thoughts on, on what's happening with this Texas cheerleader case or what's likely to happen? I think the Texas cheerleader is likely to go on for a while. The Texas Supreme Court just ruled that the case was still alive. Um, it didn't say whether these prayers were permissible or not. We're going to learn more about that in the next few years. And I will add one note about public meetings, like legislative sessions, uh, it would be wonderful to start them all with a call to common concern and common, and common goals and public purpose uh, without an invocation of God. And as you say, people who want to invoke some divine spirit should find those um, among themselves who voluntarily agree to join them and in their own place do, do exactly that. We're out of time. Our guest today has been law professor Chip Lupu. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.